0: Two for one drafts. Austin Gill here with my guy, Mike Renner. We're in studio with the new and improved Mike Renner. You cut your hair. Give us the story. Did you donate to Locks of Love? You look like a better man. I have to admit it.
1: I did donate it. My friend actually makes wigs. I donated it to her. Uh, it was time. It was just coronavirus, everything It was weighing on me. So I had to shed mm-hmm. some weight. And, and, you know, we're here now. And this is the week I've been dreading for a long, long time. Not not that all these guys are opting out of college football, but that I'm back here in studio with you. That's the unfortunate thing that's going on in our lives right now.
0: I mean, man, I mean, th- those locks brought in a lot of Cincinnati's finest bachelor fans, bachelorette fans, whatever it was. It's tough to see them go, but the new and improved runner looks great. If you're tuning in on YouTube, you can see Mike's new haircut. If not, make sure you're listening on our podcast platforms here for today. We're going to do a quick little intro, look at things, Caleb Farley opting out. Rashad Bateman of Minnesota opted out. Micah Parsons rumored to opt out, according to Eric Edholm. And I know you have some potentially inside info about Rondale Moore, maybe. Potent- rumors. Rumors he could be opting out. That's what we're going over today. And also the Pac-12 news and the Big Ten joining that we are united uh, front today, according to Players' Tribune. There are going to be multiple conferences, multiple players going to be kind of, pushing to get paid in college football and all those things so we're going to kind of go over that let's start with Caleb Farley PFF's number one cornerback entering the 2021 NFL draft a guy that's already graded really well has all the tools and the production to be a top flight cornerback prospect was this a smart opt out for Caleb Farley? Because I don't, I don't know if Patrick Sertain or Sean Wade overcomes or overtakes Pat, um, Caleb Farley as cornerback one this draft.
1: I think he could have put some more good tape out there. Uh, like if he does it for another season, you would have felt better about. It. And I think there was kind of a reason he came back in the first place. Like he almost had some unfinished business in terms of things to prove on his tape. But once all this hit, and the fact that. Uh, you know you're only playing the ACC only schedule you're at a school like Virginia Tech where realistically you're not competing for the ACC championship I think it makes sense for him I think he's still in the first round no matter what he would have done this season so yes he might relinquish CB1 status with if some other guys ball out and have big years but I still think he's going to be making himself a lot of money in the future and uh, if that takes giving up a year of college football to save your health, so be it.
0: You think there's a chance that someone overtakes CB1 status because yeah. he's sitting out? Who like are those Sean names?
1: Wade? Like Sean, Sean Wade is a very realistic exam- or a realistic option to be cornerback one by the end of it. Patrick Sertain as well. I think both those guys have that size speed sort of skill set retains is a little bit slower, but Sean Wade has the physical tools just haven't seen it on the outside. And again, there's a reason why he came back to school. He wants to prove he is that outside cornerback one type of guy.
0: I'm not buying it, man. I think even with the sit-out, I think Caleb Farley sticks as PFF's cornerback one earned a 90.5 PFF coverage grade this past year, allowed a 26.8 passer rating when targeted in 2019. Again, the production, six 6'2", 207, a ton of athletic ability, made Bruce Fellman's freaks list. Sean Wade, I know he's moving from slot to outside corner. He has an Opportunity, if he can seize it, to potentially be that cornerback one. I don't know if he 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 does it though.
1: And I'm surprised he came back to school. Caleb Fire. Like Mm -hmm. I said, there's unfinished business. He probably wasn't. You know, he definitely wasn't going to be overtaking Jeffrey Okuda last year. But after Okuda, I thought he easily could have been the top cornerback drafted off the board. Like he could have gone somewhere in the 12 to 15 range fairly easily last season if he declared. uh, You know, would have ran like the four threes reportedly, and like on tape, he definitely runs that fast. So uh, surprised he ended up coming back to school, but. Uh, I, I still think his draft status is pretty locked in at this point.
0: Yeah, so going over, Caleb Farley, I'm going to jump to Rashad Bateman. forgot to mention this, too. After this, we're going to have D, uh, Daniel Jeremiah on the podcast to talk some of these opt-outs, talk about what college football will look like in 2020, what scouting will look like in 2020. It'll be, I think, second or third appearance on the show. DJ, always a good get on the podcast. Yo, let's we'll get to that later. Let's talk Rashad Bateman, Minnesota wide receiver. A, a lot of people love his route running, his physicality. Not necessarily a rare athlete. You could, he could run in the four fives come the combine, even with a full season mm-hmm. of training. But... Is he, you know, going to maintain, you know, first round status as a receiver after opting out?
1: I think so, and it's because in the guys who I think would you know need to have a year to prove haven't produced already at a high level. Yeah. Like if you are, say, Jalen Waddell, and you've only had 800 yards, it's like your best season. I'd be wary about opting out because you just haven't seen it a lot. You haven't seen this guy be a true, you know, number one true rotational piece that's, you know, can produce at a high level with Bateman as a true sophomore. We saw him put up over 1200 yards, over 20 yards a catch, break 17 tackles, you know, on 63 catches just was, or excuse me, 60 catches was just very productive from the outside, led the NCAA in yards per route run as an outside receiver. The thing we harp on here at BFF when he won, it was him beating the guy across from him. When he put up yardage, that's what he was doing. It wasn't because the scheme at Minnesota, although sometimes it was with the RPO glance uh, slant routes that they run a ton of there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, he won down the football field, won after the catch. Uh, and yes, he might not be the most physically imposing, but he gets off the line of scrimmage better than anyone na- else not named Jamar Chase in this wide receiver class. I mean, and already does that. And that's the thing you worry about with guys not translating to the NFL. Is can they get off? the cornerback cross on that can't get off these physical bigger NFL corners because they're all bigger in the NFL. Bateman, I have no worries about that.
0: I mean, first thing in my notes, separation at and away from the line of scrimmage, good, mm-hmm. good at with his releases. Obviously at his route stem as well. Earned an 89.0 PFF receiving grade. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, how much Minnesota runs RPOs. 46% yeah. of their you know plays are RPOs, most in the Power Five. However, sure. removing RPOs and still looking at Rashad Bateman, an outside receiver, averaged 3.57 yards per out run. It wasn't all gaming plays. This guy is winning That's on good. normal no, normal play calls, not just RPOs. One of the more productive receivers. And people forget, Sean Bateman, true sophomore this past year, obviously playing there at Minnesota with Tanner Morgan, Tyler Johnson, etc. I I really do think he won't be the first receiver off the board. I think Jamar Chase are still in in running for that. Rondell Moore, even if uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but there are some better receivers than Bateman in this class. I still think, though, top 50 player when it's all said and done. That's the
1: thing. To me, he reminds me of like a Keenan Allen type or a DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not saying like completely skill (laughs) one-to-one. He's like one of the best receivers in the NFL. But but I'm saying they're not – those guys ran slow coming out. They didn't test extremely well. Their verticals weren't off the charts. He doesn't really wow in any sense. He has some wow plays on his tape, but it's never like you flip on the tape and you're like, wow, those are – those are tools to work with. Mm-hmm. It's more just he's very good at wide receiver, yeah, and, and is very good at all the little things about playing wide receiver. And he's pretty good, and he has good size as well, which those guys have. So I, I do think Rashad Bateman is going to get underdrafted w- relative to his talent level, relative to how good he is at the position. You'll see, you'll see a new number of guys. I would say Jalen Waddle, obviously Jamar Chase, by Devontae Smith, yeah, guys who have a little, probably a little bit more in the speed realm, get drafted ahead of them. But then Rashad Bateman, we're going to be talking about this three or four years from now and be like, oh, how'd he fall to pick 25? He's... One of the better receivers in football. All
0: right, one more thing on Rashad Bateman. Talk to me about the differences between Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, the guy who went, you know, played at Minnesota this past year, was the highest graded receiver in college football mm-hmm. according to PFF grades there at Minnesota. Because I feel like when you talk about Rashad Bateman, there's a lot of weak, similar weaknesses in Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, not a good athlete. You don't have this, you know, the splash tools, and he was still a very good receiver, at creating separation, had a good release package. What is really the biggest difference between Bateman and uh, Johnson? It is crazy. I think they are similar skill sets. Yes. I think Bateman is even a little bit faster
1: than Johnson. I think that's why he ran the outside role mm-hmm. whereas Johnson was over the slot. I, I think he had better hands uh, out away from his body. You saw a lot more body catches on Johnson's tape and even though Bateman has some drops over the course of his career they're not near the level of what Johnson had but after that they do have you know, a similar sort of body of work and uh, what they bring to the table but again you're going to feel more comfortable with the guy you've seen do it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Tyler Johnson, you didn't see him do it from the outside. Played so, in the slot,
0: ton yes. of off coverage. I, I would agree with that. And I think the first thing I mentioned here, the difference is the hands. He's very, you know, Shot Bateman is, is very good in contested catch different. situations and in open situations as well. All right, let's jump to Micah Parsons. I don't think He's made a statement yet. I don't think it's official according to Parsons yet, but Eric Ed- Edholm of Yahoo Sports reported that it's likely that he is opting out for the 2020 season, hands down the best linebacker in this class. PFF's linebacker one. It's going to be everyone, everyone's, everyone and their mother's linebacker one. He's a generational talent. You said that, and you use that word pretty lightly because it's easy to make fun of generational as an adjective. But Mike Parsons is that up there with Reuben Foster, guys that have been highly talented up on linebackers. And even if you look at Devin Bush and Devin White, when they both came out, both first-round prospects, He's better than those guys because, in addition to the athleticism and the ideal size for the position, you see the production on tape against the run. Devin White, people forget, was one of the, a bad run defender coming out of LSU. Like, mm-hmm. did not grade well according to PFF grades. I think Michael Parsons is the exact opposite of that. Really reads his keys well. A very smart, instinctive linebacker, and I think that translates to the NFL. You see linebackers that can read blocks, react to plays quickly, really do get it done in the NFL. Michael Parsons, very high graded in PFF system. An athlete, good size. I don't know if this guy's stock's going anywhere if he does opt out.
1: No, it's not. There's no way it should. He's that good. And push. I do the pushback on generational because it is often overused. But it's like 10 years. 10 years is a generational yeah. prospect. If you're the best in 10 years, you're a generational prospect. To me, he's the best in Luke Keekley, which was, what, 11, 2011 draft? Yeah, I so, so. that's 10 years. So that's the best in 10 years. So he's, in my opinion, a generational prospect. Easily the best we've seen at PFF. The way I put it was is that he has throwback linebacker size. Like he has mm-hmm. 6'3", 245, classic 1995 linebacker that can come downhill and thump you know, a fullback in the hole, but he has modern athleticism. Like he runs a sub-4, 540. Uh, he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, uh, top 10 in 2019, 13th this past season. He is legitimately a freak athlete, can do all the things you want from a modern linebacker athletically, but has that power and that explosiveness. I, I think if you wanted to, you could draft him and put him at edge rusher. And you could do the anti, the opposite of Anthony Barr. Like, he could do that flip. Oh, wow. he, could, he could draft him as an as edge rusher if you really wanted him to. And he would be one of the best. He'd probably be, you might arguably be the best edge rushing prospect in this class with how just talented he is as a football player. So, yeah, no, no hurt to his draft stock but it did hurt me to hear him declare that you're he, to hear <laughs> yeah, this you news. Watch him play because i, mean, I
0: want to watch a play generational prospects play the game i mean everyone is so excited yes. for this upcoming nfl and ncaa season to see some of the best names caleb farley bateman and now parsons opt out is unfortunate i know you recently added generational to your tinder bio as well even though it's not as off use i i get why adding it there makes sense Rondell Moore. because uh, i
1: <laughs> get a swipe right once every 10 years
0: there you go perfect Rondell Moore. Not has not officially opted out, no reports yet, but there are some rumors that he could be opting out, the Purdue wide receiver. That missed a bulk majority of the 2019 season. With Rondell Moore, even though he's a freak athlete, you love his tape, hashtag fun to watch all day long. (laughs) If he does opt out, I think there are enough question marks undersized. Yes, he's a freak athlete, but you only have one year of production and it was his true freshman season. I think there are enough question marks if he does opt out for 2020, he could slip into day two, 100%. I mean, there's going to be enough there from a question mark standpoint, to get him outside the top 32 picks.
1: Yeah, so the Parsons one was hurt because he's on a good team. Like, Parsons is on a good team that could compete for the Big Ten title. And so, Mm -hmm. seeing a guy like that, you know, forego a senior year, like, that's kind of a big domino to fall. Rondale Moore, there was always whispers of, or has, or still whispers of, because he's on Purdue. Like, Purdue... (laughs) Purdue makes a bowl game. That's a good year for Purdue. Uh, that would be a surprise also for Purdue. So it, the team he's on is not going to be good. So like the actual competing aspect isn't there. But I think from a draft stock perspective, he of all these guys on this list could have skyrocketed with a big 2020 year. Like He could have gotten better if he proved more that he could run routes and get open from the outside, which... His yards per route from the outside, if it qualified, only sixty yards, sixty routes from the outside over the first two years of his career would have led the entire nation over the past few seasons. Like he has been productive when asked to go outside, but they just don't do it there at Purdue. If he did more of that this year, I think he could legitimately push himself into the top ten, top fifteen conversation. But now we really haven't seen him play football since well, the start of two thousand nineteen season, two real games that he played well there, and then all the way back to two thousand eighteen. It's been a while, so this one he might legitimately hurt his stock or it might magili- le- might legitimately fall down boards because just we haven't seen him play enough football.
0: Absolutely. Now you go back to that 2018 season, an 89.7 PFF receiving grade, 114 receptions, 154 targets, 1,258 yards and 12 touchdowns and multiple Ridiculous. games where he's going against top flight competition in the Big Ten and dominating, absolutely dominating. I think he broke the PFF record of yards after the catch per reception by a true freshman in the PFF college era you saw it that year. It was a flash in the pan, but you saw it, and I think that's and it's almost like they enough. had no one else. Yeah, like everyone you, knows you,
1: it's going to Rondale.
0: exactly. And I think with that, I think that could keep lock him into the day two conversation if he does opt out. But oh, I mean, listed I, at five foot nine, one hundred seventy five pounds, there are enough concerns there. I think to push him out of the first round if he doesn't play another snap. But
1: but then again, speed goes high. True.
0: But, if he tests, yeah, well he's better than combine, KJ. Like yeah. everyone, like
1: everyone <laughs> and their mother would tell you, he's a better prospect than KJ Hamler. Yeah. And KJ Hamler still went like 40-something, 46. So true, really, yeah. very
0: true. And I think he's going to test better than KJ Hamler. I, so. I mean, This guy's a freakier athlete almost. And I think people are making comparisons to Tyreek Hill. I, I've heard Percy Harvin. I mean, these guys that can really do damage with the ball in their hands and impact defensive game plans. That's yeah. what Rondell Moore does. You don't, Ro, Rashad Bateman, I don't think, impacts defensive game plans as much as Rondell Moore does because of just the rare talent he brings to the table. All right, let's close with this. Before we jump to the Daniel Jeremiah interview, I want to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 and mm. I guess now the Big Ten. Both yeah. those conferences have representatives from you know, players that are threatening to boycott the 2020 season, if not a laundry list of demands are met, mm-hmm. including a 50% rev share, uh, n- name, image, and like, uh, likeness for um, pay there. I mean, that aside, your opinion on that aside, who do you think this impacts the most? Because the name that comes to mind, or two names that come to mind for me, are both on the Oregon Ducks, and it's Penny Sewell and Javon Holland, two guys that are in top 20 on PFF's draft board right now. If those two guys opt out of the 2020 season as part of this boycott or whatever it may be does how much does that impact their stock because the nfl is not as high on sewell as we are uh, you hear that I don't, I don't turns. believe that at all you don't believe that no
1: there's no way that's true it's not, it's not gonna impact sewell at all he's fine he's okay. locked in to like a top five pick um <laughs> It will affect. I mean, I think it'll affect Javon Holland if he was a safety as a freshman mm-hmm. slot cornerback last year. I mean, he's been good, but I don't think he's put enough on tape to, you know, lock himself into a top 15 pick. Like, if, if he's, you know, sits on that and you have a guy like Andre Sisco play at Syracuse and he balls out, you're probably going to go with the guy you just saw play yeah. this past year who balled out. So uh, I think there are some guys that'll impact. I will just say it'll be interesting to see going forward, one, how many like players are actually in on this. I know they said we are united or yeah. whatever, but push comes to shove. How many guys are going to be like, I kind of want to play college football to see if I can get you know my draft. Not a lot of guys are set, uh, you know, in that regard. And the other one was the demands were are not going to be met. No. They're not going to meet all of these being, demands. In
0: addition to them being like, you know, hard to agree to you're not going to agree to any of them in a handful of months or even yeah. a month plus exactly. because there, there, there's a lot that has to go into agreeing to these demands. I think, I think the for players the, that the
1: health aspect, I can see it getting agreed to because there yes. are some medical expense coverages, other things like that, and, and like coronavirus uh, related uh, requests. Those I can see you getting agreed to the pay, the, the other sort of stuff, the having the Pac-12 commissioner cut pay, those aren't getting agreed to anytime soon. I I'm mean, name, say it.
0: name, image, and likeness could get agreed yes. to in that contract. I think the safety regulations, all that stuff. But like, there's no way, literally no way, in the next you know thirty forty days that a fifty percent rev share gets agreed to for for college football players. I'm sorry, I, even though regardless of your opinion on that, I, I don't see that getting ha- happening before the 2020 season. I think players in the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten that they're kind of joining this front. The big-name players like Rondale Moore, like Micah Parsons, like Rashad Bateman, these guys that feel like they're going to be top 50 picks, have the luxury to opt out of this season, while others that are still trying to prove themselves, still trying to be these big names that you know we see every year, guys that aren't in PFF's top 100 players or top 150 players mm-hmm. that blow up in their last season before declaring the draft. Those are the guys that want to play college football this year, that want to make their name known before going into the NFL.
1: Yeah, I, I do think... In time, we will get the name, image, and likeness rights. Like You will be able to make money off of you, who you are mm-hmm. and, and not be limited by the whatever the pay, uh, whatever the NCAA says for mm-hmm. uh, how much you can make off that or how much you can even like, limit how much you can make just from any other job, which is kind of ridiculous. That's going to change. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where it's going to be fifth, like revenue sharing be two players. I just don't see that happening. That's not college football. I, I think what we'll see before that is a league like the XFL or even the NFL sort of eliminate age restrictions and let these 18, 19-year-olds who want to make money off of playing football go to a league like that where they can.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Let's get uh, DJ's takes on all of this. DJ's takes on the opt-outs, the Pac-12 news, all that stuff. Let's go ahead and jump into that interview. Joining the two for one drafts podcast again is Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Media's Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, how are things going? A ton of opt outs right now. It's changing what scouting is really for the 2021 NFL draft. How, how are you doing right now? Yeah,
2: it's weird, man. I, I was, uh, we were talking with uh, Brandon Bean a little bit earlier today, and we were kind of going through how just different this could look, where you could have. You know, some teams, obviously, it sounds like the Ivy League and some others could be going in the spring. So you're trying to evaluate guys in the fall, potentially in the spring. And then if players aren't going to play, opt, you know, a lot of these guys, I think you're going to see some of these top guys opt out. Um, how do you get a chance to see them? I and mean, not going to see them in football action, but can you get a chance to get eyeballs on those guys, you know, during the training process? Or do you just lose contact with them for a full calendar year? So it's crazy i mean it's look it's it's small potatoes in terms of the the real issues going on in the world right now but it's never been more challenging to to be in personnel than it is right now
1: how do you deal with a guy uh, wait there hasn't really been a corollary where a guy misses last year since like mike williams Maurice claret that's probably when you were back working with teams how do you deal with those guys who skipped that year what what was your, your thought process out scouting those guys
2: yeah, I mean, I think you've got to rely on the, the previous tape. I mean, I, I, I tweeted out the other day, I mean, Nick played a couple games, but when you look at Nick Bosa's, you know, last year at Ohio State, there was enough good to go off of that, you know, previously that you felt comfortable with the evaluation. Then you add in the fact A, is at Ohio State, B, who his brother is, and C, all the guys they've produced, you're kind of like, okay, I can kind of figure this out. This is not an unsolvable riddle here. Um, but, I, I, you know, in talking to teams around the league, they're – they're getting the opportunity to do something that PFF that you guys talk about being able to watch every single play. Um, so you've never, they've never had this luxury of time to devote to one season of play, uh, which is what they're really able to do on this last year. And then they're also even going back a year further. So the challenge is, I was talking to a GM the other day, and he said, "Look, I had this player that came in. We expected was going to be at 265. He showed up at 235." Oh man. <laughs> uh, We had another player who we thought would show up at 295, and he showed up at 320. Um, so, and that's that's with their communication process with guys on their own team, just not physically seeing them. Now you're in a situation where you haven't you don't, you don't have any contact with a lot of these college kids, and you haven't seen them. You don't know what they look like or how they move. That's why I've been trying to advocate, you know, for a rule change in the in in the fall. If we have some schools or conferences that aren't playing. Um, to open up some of these workout facilities or allow some NFL personnel to be able to see these guys where they're training to at least get eyeballs on them physically. You don't get to see them play football, but at least you can see them move around a little bit.
0: Well, I can't say my, my weight during quarantine has stayed steady. He definitely packed on a few LBs as well. But <laughs> I want to talk specifically about some of the opt-outs. Uh, Caleb Farley, the Virginia Tech cornerback, currently PFF's number one corner entering the draft. And then also Rashad Bateman, two of the official opt-outs right now. What are your thoughts on those two prospects and, and how big is this opt-out for them?
2: Well, I'm gonna, Farley is, is my next assignment here. So I have this first look series, we look at 20 guys. He's literally number 20. So he is, he's going to be uh, my homework for this evening, and that'll be out on Friday. But, you know, Bateman's a really good player and really physical. You play outside. You can play inside. I didn't think he had, like, that elite, elite top speed, you know, but I really don't know that that's all that important as, it, as, as people might think. So somebody that's really good getting in and out, very physical. He's going to probably have to dial that down a little bit. He gets away with some stuff at the top of the route. Um, but he, you know, I put down, I don't know if it's the Jersey number or what, but there's, I got some Mike Thomas kind of vibes from watching him just because of, of that, that aggressive way in which he plays and the ball goes up, it's his and some of that inside outside combination. So, um, I think he's a really good player. I I think to me, if you're kind of guess, you know, where does he fall in a draft process? It's so early to, to say that, but to me, he kind of reminds me of those. Kind of uh, you know twenty five to thirty five you know type range. I didn't think he was a top ten type player, uh, but somebody that's going to probably end up going to a good team and and have a nice run.
1: Yeah, I, I'm bored with that evaluation completely. That's where I kind of said he'll end up going. I think he'll end up going after all this. But the guy who's the sort of blue chip guy, the biggest name to have opted out already, Micah Parsons, Penn State linebacker. Where do you think he? One ends up, and what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? He's not officially after that yet, but the rumors are that he will be.
2: He's really talented. Um, I, I put a huge grade on him, and I'm just kind of going through my notes right now and looking at some things. And When you have the ability, with the way the game is right now, to be able to play off the ball, to be able to cover running backs, to be able to mirror tight ends, uh, which he's done, then you add what he can do as a blitzer. Um, you've got the range laterally. Um you know, I didn't think his instincts were like an elite level. If you're kind of comparing him to um, let's go to another big linebacker we've seen recently of Tremaine Edmonds. I thought Tremaine was a little bit more instinctive than him um, on college tape. But you have that same type of athleticism and, and range, um, which to me is so big at that position right now.
0: What is your opinion uh, on the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten today, according to the Players' Tribune, kind of joining this We Are United movement? What do you think the impact of that will be on some of the bigger-named Pac-12 prospects? And then also, uh, now that the Big Ten's involved, Penny Sewell, Javon Holland comes to mind, some others as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I'm, I'm glad that they have the freedom to get their voice heard and, and to put that out there. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I'm trying to get better you know, conditions. I, I, I kind of jump off board a little bit when you get into the revenue sharing. That gets a little complicated for me and you start getting into the, you see the Twitter battles that take place over the, is a scholarship a job? Is it not a job? What's the value? I I, I don't care about all that stuff. That's over over my head above my pay grade. Um, but in terms of wanting safe working conditions um, during a pandemic, yeah. I mean, have your voice heard and, and, and for them to organize together, I think that's a good thing. But the challenge with, you know, these guys potentially opting out or the threat of some people opting out is that I I think I can make a strong case in favor of these top guys and I'm put a number conservatively, let's just say 20 to 30. And I can say conservatively, the you 20 to 30 guys are going to be top 60 picks. So I'm giving myself some wiggle room there. But you know, that's the scale you're on. I think we can safely say that about 20 to 30 guys. But if you put the top you know, two hundred players in a room and ask them, everybody that's a top fifty player stand up, you would have all two hundred guys <laughs> would stand up. So I think there's a lot of people that are the false impression that I'm a first round pick or I'm a second round pick because my dad, my uncle, my position coach, my high school coach, they've all, you know, agent, you know, all these agents have told me that I'm a first round pick. It's not necessarily true. So that's where I would just, you know, have some caution there. Look, if you're one of those top 20, 30 players we can all agree upon, man, it's I can't I can't argue against you opting out because there's only one good thing that can happen if you play. You up your draft stock, you play better, your your stock goes up. There's three potential bad outcomes, right? You could get COVID, you could get hurt, you play worse. So that's just like a simple math equation for those guys, but I think again that number is 20 to 30. It's not, you know, 150 to 200.
1: All right. I'm sick of talking about COVID opting out. I want to talk about the actual prospects here. Let's dive into this quarterback class a little bit because I've said they could go one, two, three. Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, Justin Fields of Ohio State, Trey Lance of North Dakota State. I I think they're that good. How how good is this quarterback class in sort of relation to once in the past? And what are your thoughts on how how are you ranking these top three here?
2: Yeah, I think it's really good. I, I had fun studying them, and, uh, over the summer, I kind of, I went into it knowing a lot about two of them and not a lot about Trey Lance. You know, I'd heard about him and talking to people and you can see him in some crossover tape and, Oh, that's a nice play, but I hadn't really studied him. Um, so I came, you know, entered the process thinking it's going to be Trevor Lawrence all, all by himself, you know, then a gap, then Justin Fields. And then, you know, the, uh, a scrappy upstart from North Dakota state comes in third. And then when I watched all three of them, I was like, man, if I, if I don't helmet scout and just evaluate the way they played, I I had Trey Lance is the best one. I I thought he was the best. He made, he can make every play, you know, with his arm and with his legs. He's the best decision maker by far. And that's, that's referenced. And you can see the the lack of turnovers, Um, he's selectively aggressive. So when there's times to take shots, he's not just a check down Charlie, like he'll push the ball vertically down the field. Um, and so I look at poise, decision-making, accuracy, playmaking ability, toughness, like he's literally off the charts in all five of those key areas. So he, to me was, was the most impressive of the bunch. Now I would say Trevor's probably going to be the one that goes ahead of him, um, because you've got the rare size and the athletic ability and the pedigree and, and playing it at, at a higher level. But I thought Trevor can make every play. He has the wild plays. I just did not think that he was as pinpoint accurate as, uh, as I would like, I thought, um he missed some missed some throws and and that bothered me a little bit and then Justin Fields you know kind of two guys before that injury um you could really see what he can do as a playmaker I saw him play in high school I saw both him and and, uh, Trevor Lawrence at at the uh, opening at the Nike opening when they were in high school I remember thinking Justin Fields like just as physically mature as he was and uh and even when you talk to him just a very he was a very mature kid um, and he can make every type of play. Now his thing for me was just holding on to the ball too long, uh, trying to trying to make every single play, and just not having that internal clock. Uh, to me, was his biggest biggest issue. So I came out of that process with uh, Trey Lance one, Trevor Lawrence two, Justin Fields three, and I thought they were all three to me were top five, top ten, you know, caliber picks. If you're going back over previous, you know, guys, I actually thought, and people will think I'm crazy. But I thought Trey Lance was further along watching him than Carson Wentz was when he was coming out. And I love Carson Wentz. But I think Trey Lance, he's just a better decision maker and played the position more smoothly, cleanly.
0: Yeah, wow, that's, that's impressive, especially considering you just don't have a huge sample size with Trey Lance. He's throwing, you know, 18 dropbacks a game or whatever it may be, but you even see it. You just see it, you know, the ability that he does bring to the table. I'm also glad. What do you, you guys pro- think about
2: that? What do you guys think? I'd love to get your opinion on that. So to me, I've been hit with that a lot is the sample size uh, with him. And I come out of it saying, look, I, I don't need to see you do. I don't need you. To, I don't need to see you run a, a 10 flat 100 meters 500 times to know you're fast. If I see you run a 10 flat 100 meters one time, I'm pretty confident that you can run fast. And with him, I felt there's enough there that I think he can make every single throw. He can make every single play. What do you guys think?
1: See, talent-wise to me, you tell me he's the most talented of the bunch. I can agree with that. But if you don't see a guy have to win with his arm, I think that's kind of a a difference in quarterbacks. It was kind of like the Dak Prescott early in his career criticism. Until you see him win where it's on him instead of 18 dropbacks a game and it's in the uh, run heavy offense there at North Dakota state against lesser competition. Until you really see a guy have to do that. Uh, I'm not going to be sold that he can. And so that's the biggest thing to me with him. Like we saw Trevor Lawrence, bury Alabama as a freshman in the national championship game when he had to you know, throw, we haven't really seen that with Lance. And so that's the biggest difference. And that's, Where I stand on that,
0: but but to add to that too, I mean, it it only takes probably what four throws to see he's got one of the most talented arms in the class. Like it only takes a handful of reps to see just pure arm talent. But I agree that you do need to see a larger sample of those times where he's game on the line. It's on his shoulders to kind of be the the best player on the football field. Um, I'm also glad you brought up honestly, you know, Trevor Lawrence's inconsistency from an accuracy standpoint. Because if you look at the start of last season, he was not one of the more accurate you know quarterbacks in the ACC, let alone college football. And I think he found his. Group groove later in the season but I think there's still more there you want to see more consistency from an action standpoint with Trevor Lawrence moving away from the quarterback position I wanted to talk more about who are some of your favorites I know you're just getting into the scouting process you got Caleb Farley coming down the road but who are some guys that you're already kind of pounding the table for in this class
2: well I mean I don't think it's hard for some of them I mean Greg Rousseau is another one who I'd heard the name but I felt like I'll be, full disclosure did not watch a lot of Miami Hurricane football last year Uh, so, you know, doing the draft process did those other defenders, but he popped a little bit and I kind of, but I did not know a lot about him. So some of that is that's why this is my favorite time of the year is like, it's getting new presence when you get to, you've, you've seen those games and study those other prospects from the previous class for so long, um, to get to see with fresh eyes, some new players. And I was like, holy crud, like this dude is legit. Like I, I to me, I put a bigger grade on him than I had on any edge rusher in last year's draft class. So I I, I thought no outside of oh, Chase Young, I should awesome. say. I but say. Right, right 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 outside of Chase Young, he's right there. Like he's he's right underneath him in terms of what he can do. And you can make a case. Obviously Chase is is more explosive and, and stronger and plays with better strength. This kid bends, he can bend a little bit better uh than Chase can. He is a really good player.
0: And the positional versatility, too, with Rousseau. I mean, he played some nose last year. He lined up on guards. I mean, they had him doing everything at Miami. Didn't watch a lot of Miami games last year either, but you, you saw it. You saw him do a lot of different things very well.
2: He's a, he's a good player. I, I texted – actually, hold on, let me pull that up for you. The uh, I, asked, I sent him – this is the best part about technology compared to when I was scouting is that you can uh, reach out to these kids directly because I wanted to know what he was weighing um now here it is so he's he played last year at 248 and when i Ooh. sent him a message on june 11th he was 262 so that's good that's good, a, that's a good uh, weight for him he could get up to
1: probably like 275 that guy's got a frame yeah for, yeah. I mean, he looks like you stretched out a normal. <laughs> just, but. All right. So we got a game for you. I know you like to play with Buck where you read your scouting reports. And yeah. Guess them on the move the six pod. We're going to play yeah. DJ's greatest hits. These are the scouting reports that you know oh, on the dot that you, you nailed it with these guys, but well, we're going to see if you remember what you said about them.
2: Okay. All right. So, this is scary. Here's you guys could have really gone the other way and made me look really bad. <laughs> it really sounded a better. Down. DJ's
1: greatest hits just sounded
2: good. <laughs> well, you're limited with time. If you did all the misses, it'd be a nine hour podcast.
1: <laughs> that's everybody. That's, that's how it goes in this biz. All right. He has ideal size, versatility, and explosiveness for the position. He lines up as both a high safety and in the box against the pass. He is at his best roaming underneath or matching up in the slot. He can range and make plays from the deep middle, but he's more valuable closer to the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have a lot of ball production, but he provides a physical presence and delivers huge hits on opposing pass catchers he's at his best in run support He is quick to key and explode to the alley with outstanding range against the run he makes a lot of plays from the opposite hash he is a dynamic athlete and i've been told his intangibles are off the charts he will be a tone setter for an nfl defense and he's ready to play right away
2: i'm gonna say because the uh intangibles God. It, I think it's I, I think it's Jamal Adams, but Derwin James would be my backup. I'll say Jamal Adams.
1: Nailed it, Jamal Adams. Your number two prospect that season, and that one looks looks pretty good in retrospect. I'll say.
0: Yeah, were you guys surprised at what they were able to fetch? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, he they took a king's ransom to uh, send Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. What what was your opinion of that trade?
2: The no brainer, no brainer on, on uh, the jet side, you had to do it. They don't have a foundation built. So this gives you an, an opportunity to build a foundation. They spent all their money in all the wrong places. Um, so to be able to put their money in the premier positions was a no brainer. And then I, it's a lot to give up. Um, but from Seattle's standpoint, I they feel like they're right there. So I'm a believer in if you think you're right there, be bold and make a bold move to try and to try and go get a ring. And if they feel like they're there then I got no problem with it from their end. But it's a lot to give up.
0: It was definitely a bold move. I kind of want to use this as an opportunity to talk about Sam Darnold a bit because you, you speak to them not having a foundation, but they've been trying to add some pieces to build around Sam Darnold, give him an opportunity to really show what he can be in the NFL. Added Denzel Mims this past year. What are your expectations for Darnold this upcoming season? How important is 2020 to Sam Darnold?
2: Well, you know, I, I don't know that I have big expectations for the team um, <laughs> because it's just that Joe hasn't had a chance to put enough pieces in place. So – they're going to be better on the offensive line because that Sam's going to play better and Sam's numbers will be better. I know they don't have, you know, an unbelievable set of skill position players, Uh, but Herndon's a better tight end than people realize him being healthy. is going to help them out a lot. And uh, you've got Crowder. So you've got two players that can give you easy completions. And, and I think Sam, I think he's really talented. Um, So I think you see a small step forward this year. And then with the influx of picks and, and, and the money they have in free agency next year, I think next year is the year for Sam to really kind of take off and explode.
1: I'll just add this also about that trade. Way the Seahawks have drafted in the first round. Maybe not the worst thing that
2: they've <laughs> yeah, That's a trail of tears in the first <laughs> round. No, no bueno. All
1: right, let's get to the next greatest hit here. Was an ultra-productive DT. He has enormous, powerful base. He easily holds the point of attack. He has an explosive get-off as a pass rusher, and he knows how to finish. He will get gassed if left on the field for too long. Overall, he's one of the most disruptive interior defenders in the draft. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. I think this was 2016 draft, I want to say.
0: Absolutely nailed this eval, though, for the yeah. player it is. 2016. Oh, gosh. It's
2: not Jaron Reed, is
1: it? No. Who is it? Who is it? Javon, Har- Javon Hargrave.
2: Oh, Javon Hargrave. Nice.
1: Yeah. You had him 47th on that one. And he went did he, what, what,
2: what pick was he?
1: He was 89th in that draft, so...
2: Spot. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I don't know if you guys remember, but like the uh, the All Star stuff, he they couldn't block him. I think mean, he was at the East West, and then he went to the Senior Bowl. They didn't block him either week. Uh, but man, he he was built like a dump truck.
1: Yeah, that was before we did FCS games, unfortunately. So we, you were spot on. We were not with that one. So uh, last one, here. last one. This one's. I'll okay. give you a little hint. This is not you got. You were lower on him than where the okay going so okay average height and a thick square build for the position he operates in the shotgun and has quick feet in his setup his excellent pocket feel and awareness he has a dip whip delivery and he generates enough velocity to make all the necessary throws he is an anticipation thrower who shows the ability to read the entire field his accuracy is good but not great he has some easy misses on simple underneath throws he's a very good athlete and throws well in the move to both sides He is effective on designed qb runs
2: it kind of it sounded like Baker Mayfield but it's is thatbisky so that no so
1: this is, I'm, I'm saying you were oh gosh I screwed that one so I said you were lower on him than where he ended up going you had him 31st on your board there that year and trubisky went second overall so
2: oh okay so that so that was oh so that was trubisky
1: yes that was Mitch Trubisky. okay
2: okay there you go yeah so he was 31st. In hindsight, if he was the 31st pick in the draft right now, you'd be like, okay, maybe, you know, he's still time for him. The yeah. fact he's the second pick in the draft, yeah, everybody's punted on him. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying there. All
0: right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for DJ's greatest hits. have to so get you back on. And do some you guys, you guys did guys solid on that because you could have really – I mean, you could have unearthed some <laughs> – We tried to not go too ones. many deep hidden gems there, but I think that Javon Hargrave – eval is impressive seeing how well he's done the nfl specifically as that explosive penetrator on the interior very impressive stuff from dj well do you, do you guys do you guys
2: before before we wrap up do you guys mm-hmm. ever because uh, this is what i do when it's different when you're with the team now when you go into the media i always joke it's way harder what we do because we have to show our grades on everybody versus the team <laughs> only having to show their grades on like you know seven players but do you ever see like like adam shaheen great example like he gets traded and and like There's still that flicker of hope of just like, maybe it's just a change of scenery. You know, maybe I did not miss on that report. Maybe if we can just get him a fresh start somewhere, maybe that report can come back to life.
1: Oh, I'm still Josh Jackson, Iowa cornerback. I still think this is the year. Like He had, he didn't even play last year for Green Bay, but this is the year. Maybe <laughs> it's safety. Maybe he moves to safety this year. He's going to do that. But well, it also, what you mentioned there about fans, you're like, you having to show your work. You, you miss on one guy. You get one bad eval. People point to that all the time. It's like, dude, teams miss on these first-round results. Like this happens. That, that's par for the course to have this one terrible eval. That is what it is. Everyone has their misses.
2: Trust me, you, I've been, I mean, that's why I kind of laugh because I haven't worked in Baltimore where, you know, the reputation is, you know, the best drafting team in the National Football League, and it probably is, but I've been on the inside, and I've seen years where we've been <laughs> bummed that we had to take a player that ends up being an all-time great player because somebody else took the guy we really wanted, uh, and so you get the credit for getting the player right when, in fact, we probably didn't have him in, in the proper order, so it's just, it's, it's weird, man, how it all works. That was Peter a, King. That
1: was the Packers trying to trade out of the Aaron Rodgers pick. It's like they tried. No one wanted to trade it. So
0: and P- Peter King has come into the office before and talked about how the Cowboys were locked in on Connor Cook and, and then end up getting you know the Raiders take him and then they opt for Dak Prescott, Prescott. Dude, in that draft. They, they <laughs> were,
2: it wasn't even just Connor Cook. Remember they were in on Paxton Lynch, oh. and then that was that was a no go. So then Connor Cook was the number two plan. Dak Prescott was number three. The
0: media doesn't get that luxury. You know, your evals are on every single player, so it's kind of proof in the pudding there. Well, Daniel, always good to have you on. I called you Daniel. DJ, DJ, always good to have you on the podcast. We're going to have to get you on again before the season starts. Hopefully, we do have full NFL and NCAA seasons, but uh, thanks again for everything.
2: Uh, I'll tell you what, it's been great to get to know you guys a little bit over the last couple years and uh, respect you guys and the work that you do, and, and hopefully we'll do this again real soon.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Thanks, guys.